everyone and welcome to episode 122 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lincook and as always I'll be your host today. Now in today's episode I'm going to be talking about something that I was involved with last week um, and that was Serendipity Institute for Black Arts and Heritage's Young Archivist Programme and it ran from Monday to Friday, it was a whole week and It was for young people that have aspirations or who are currently working within heritage spaces, within the arts, um, and especially how that all kind of pertains to black history, black British history more specifically, but we also spoke about Caribbean history. Um, We touched a little bit on um, some African history, not so much. um, It was mostly black British history. Um, And I kind of just wanted to talk about their experience because not only was it like the most fantastic week, um, I met some really, really incredible people that were alongside me on the course, but also um, the people that worked at Serendipity, um, but also within the partnerships uh, that were kind of laid out for us um, and the institutions that we were able to visit and, and go and kind of not necessarily critique, but really think about the way that black British history is being explored and is being shared and it's being how it's being kind of curated in galleries in museums in archiving in heritage spaces um and thinking about you know with the knowledge that we have uh, whether that be as students of history or working in the arts or being um sociologists or you know any other kind of angle that we all had and the brilliant thing was that we were all from kind of different walks of life but all were all connected by by heritage um we all kind of could bring something different to the spaces that we were in now serendipity institute for black arts and heritage um was founded by paulette brooks um and paulette is incredible she's an incredible incredible woman who not only you know put this course on for us to essentially give back to to young people that that were thinking about getting into this work but also her insight her decades of experience within this field um and the way she was able to kind of share things with us break things down demystify parts of the sector provide us with legal advice um we had sessions on copywriting and the legalities of things that really I think allowed us to kind of know our rights within the space know what we can and can't do um, and also empower us to be able to do that moving forward Um, I was truly inspired empowered and uplifted by that week Um, but a little bit more on Paulette Um, Paulette founded Serendipity um, and it is as I said Institute for Black Arts and Heritage they have digital archives um, they create a lot of heritage events that I think really beautifully bridge the arts and by the arts I mean things like dance um, and and what's the art called not visual arts well the visual arts um, but also um, you know painting um, and why can't I think of the word for art the like the drawing the painting the photography side that art what's it called not fine art but oh I don't know um, but yeah, bridging the gaps between gallery spaces and dance and heritage and history. Um, they're based in Leicester, um, but they work all around the world, to be quite honest with you. Um, most of the work is done in Leicester, but 
um, Paulette finds herself all over the world, um, whether that is in a consultancy basis, um, curating things, creating things. Um, her initiatives have resulted in debuts of renowned dance companies, um, recognition of previously unshared black histories, the histories of the black presence in the Midlands specifically, and also really innovative uses of digital technologies um, to create more accessible spaces for people to be educated within the field of history and heritage, also to you know promote more creativity, um, and also she worked to produce an internationally acclaimed documentary, um, which we got to see when we were there. Um, and Paulette is really doing the work. A lot of people say they're doing the work, but they're not really doing the work. But Paulette is doing the work um, and also allowing us to be part of the conversation that would further help us do the work in the future. Um, and I'm truly grateful for the experience. It was fantastic. And if you're here listening now as a student, maybe in any of the fields and sectors I've mentioned and are looking to work in heritage, then Young Archivist is a programme that you should definitely look out for next year. Um, the programme, I believe, I think I applied for it in around July, August time. So, yeah, August. I think it was the middle of August the deadline was. If I remember next year, I will share that when it comes up um, and you can apply and be part of the programme that runs in October. Um, I believe it to be invaluable. I'll say that much. Um, and I'm going to talk about what the programme entailed and some of the things I learned. Not everything, though, because... Um, you had to be there. <laughs> so we had a variety of sessions, as I mentioned. Um, we looked at oral history and conducting our oral histories, which is something um, I am quite familiar with um, and something I've done a lot in the past. Um, and I've really enjoyed that session, partly because I think with oral history, there's so much to think about um, when you're conducting interviews with people, with members of the public, especially within black history, um, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the conversations you're going to have are going to pertain to things like racism. They might pertain to things like um, other traumatic events that a person might have gone through. Um, a lot of the study of black history in this country has been on racism, especially in kind of living memory, as opposed to something earlier, whereby you wouldn't be interviewing people anyway, it wouldn't be an oral history. Um, but when you are conducting oral histories, the kind of ethics of care, and I think care and the way we leave people once they've done said interview, um, but also this kind of duty of care more broadly. It was something that I think came up a lot in our week, even when we looked at kind of museums and these spaces that are sharing really traumatic histories, what duty of care they have towards um, the public that are going to be, you know, viewing these exhibitions and these spaces, but also more specifically, the duty of care they have to black people, um, where these histories might actually be their personal histories, their family histories, the history of their ancestors, um, where they may not know the names directly of the people that it might have affected uh, in the people that went before them, but they know that that's a shared history. And I'm thinking of, you know, histories of enslavement and things of that nature. Um, we had other sessions. We had sessions on digital archiving, on copyright, on marketing, um, and even being a leader uh, and public speaking and kind of, building yourself up to to take on leadership roles within this field and not kind of make yourself small 
in rooms where you should be shining. And there were things that I definitely took to heart. Um, I think with copywriting, if you've listened to this ever this podcast, sorry for a while, you know that I've always said whenever I have a clip in in the podcast <laughs> that someone might come for me in regards to copyright. Um, but actually, I think I'm on the right side of the law. Three cheers for me. Um, and I learned that, and I was quite happy to know that there are exceptions to copyright, um, there are kind of moments where you don't necessarily need to get explicit copyright permissions uh, to be able to share work that wasn't created by yourself, um, but also kind of looking at the moments where you would need that. And I think with things like music um, specifically, that's obviously the case and that's something I know because you could, you literally put the wrong um music or you put music in a background of an Instagram video or a reel and they'll, they'll take it down for copyright so we kind of I think we it's it's very clear what some of the things we can't do are but actually knowing what we can do and what is actually fine and legal like quoting somebody obviously giving them credit and letting people know where that is coming from but really following I think the kind of academic tradition of citing people referencing your sources is always good practice and the best kind of ethical practice to take when you're um, using people's work or referencing them and so yeah my mind is at ease um, maybe there'll be more clips now because I know the legalities of it and <laughs> won't be panicking about someone coming for me uh, in the future. We also had some sessions where we went into galleries um, in London and exhibition spaces and museums and I learned a lot in this space I'd say because it was kind of the practical element of the of the week you know you're actually seeing in practice all the things you've learned on paper and I think within this section and I say everything I've said to say in the spaces that we were in I really had to think very critically about what I was seeing what I was taking in knowing what I know about history um, and all the research that I've done for this podcast academically and otherwise actually what are the messages that these spaces are feeding to us and feeding to members of the public um are they correct are they authentic are they ethical and if they're not how to challenge that and I think this is what I want to apply to this whole episode and to this week more broadly whilst I kind of started talking about this program the Young Archivist program actually thinking critically based on the things that we are being fed whether that be in a museum space in a gallery space films music or by the media um and I am specifically referring to um the issues with um the media presentation of what's happening in Palestine and in Gaza more specifically and I don't think you thought I'd get there but I did um because I think the overriding theme and the overarching thing that I've been thinking about this past few weeks um is is critical thinking is not just taking things for face value as they're fed to us. And we're fed so much information, what we're in the age of information, as people say. Social media alone would feed you about 59 different narratives in the space of like 10 minutes if you watch enough TikTok or Instagram reels or Twitter videos. You know, there's so much misinformation coming from so many sources. It's not just the media and by the media I mean the mainstream media the news the newspapers 
it's social media accounts that seem to be legitimate that might may or may not have a verification tick or may seem like they come from a reliable and credible source because they have a history of allegedly being reliable and credible um and it might be that influencers and and people with a following with celebrity status are feeding information to us but we really have to critically think about what we're taking in um the amount of celebrities that were posting images um in the earlier days um of the attack on the festival in israel and saying pray for israel um and using pictures of gaza that alone now how would we know as the average joe in the uk or far away from um what's happening over there um how do we even know um but this is where you have to critically think um and you have to check you have to check the references for sources a lot of the time we're in the practice now with social media of just posting things no sources no references you just say things um and people just take it for face value um it's the same with posting pictures on social media people just take it for face value that that is a picture of what it says it is and actually a lot of the time it might not be and i think it's been very clear to me um with the reporting of what's happening in in gaza that there is a lot of lies being spread, to put it very plainly, um, about what is going on. I also think at this point it's also really important to think about language and the way language is used. Um, this is something that came up both in the reporting of what is happening in Gaza, but also um, in the reporting of history um, and in the museum spaces I was in. Um, and thinking about who is villainized? who is victimised, who is glorified when we use certain words. Um, and I've seen a lot of um, clips from journalists where they are questioning uh, and interviewing people that they say are, are linked to what's happening on the side of Israel. Um, or speaking on behalf of the Palestinian people and representing them. Um, and some of the framing of the questions already poses, um, in most cases, Palestinians um, to be siding with terrorists. It poses them to be antagonising or antagonistic, despite the fact they don't have an army. Um, and it poses the humanity of Israeli people uh, as superior to those of Palestinians. Now, in my life, in my upbringing and in my beliefs, all life is created equal. And that is actually said in both um, the kind of major religions of both these places, uh, Islam and Judaism, and also Christianity. Um, that life is sacred. Uh, all men are created equal and life is valuable. Um, and we shouldn't be throwing away life or, or wasting life or murdering. Um, there is a genocide happening in Palestine and you wouldn't know it, the way that language is used uh, within the media. And I think it's very important that at this time, you know, we're all critically thinking and that's not to say just listen to me. Um, I'm just here on the internet as well, um, sometimes citing my sources, trying to avoid the copyright, <laughs> but also... Because it's ethically the right thing to do. Um, so I say all of that to say, um, 
as we deepen ourselves into this age of information and we're bombarded with information from all sides of most arguments um, and from so many different places, really do think about um, where information is coming from. Um, who's saying it? Why are they saying it? Who are they funded by? Who are they scared of? Uh, if they speak on certain things, what might be the consequences? And that's a lot to think about for individuals, especially when a lot of the time it is just average Joes like myself getting on the internet, talking about things. Um, but we have to be more aware, I think, of, of who's saying what and why they're saying it. Um, because everything comes with its biases. History is biased. The retelling of history is not the retelling of fact. I'll say that again. The retelling of history is not just a retelling of facts. You listen to this podcast, I hope, because you want my opinion on specific historical events, people, moments. When I tell you a story, I don't just give you facts. Yes, there are some facts, like a person was born on this day and they might have died on that day. But pretty much everything else that happened in their life um, is all up for debate and it's all up for interpretation. Um, and that's why you need diversity of thought in all spaces so you can get a more diverse picture of what's happening. Um, we will think about what's happening right now in Palestine in the future as history. And it will be very interesting, the voices, the loudest voices, um, as we remember that. And whose story you remember. Um, there is clearly a group of people whose voices are being silenced. Um, and I think it's very important. And one of the things I'm really pushing myself to do is listen to the stories of the actual people that have no influence in what's happening in government or in a terrorist organisation or in spaces you know where they could have any kind of influence um on foreign policy or in political spheres but just the average people that are dealing with the consequences of these decisions made by politicians and big organizations um and have to live out those consequences i'm trying to center their stories in my mind um as opposed to the dominant narratives being fed by the media and by politicians on all sides. Um, I think it's very important to really hear a Palestinian story. Um, I'll give one story, actually, just because it um, is what I heard yesterday on the news. Um, but on the Midlands news, um, being from Birmingham and watching, I think it's called ITV Central, um, a story of um, a lady who is uh, from Warsaw. She's Palestinian um, and she went back uh, married a husband who, who's Palestinian um, and has Palestinian I'm gonna say citizenship but I'm also gonna say I'm not sure what that actually means because I'm not sure actually what the rights are of Palestinians anymore um, with this occupation um, but anyway she and her children have British citizenship um, and are trying to leave Palestine for obvious reasons but her husband won't be allowed to do so. Um, and she doesn't want to split her family up because, well, why would you want to split your family up? But he won't be able to leave. Um, he isn't eligible for kind of the kind of British embassy to get them out. Um, it would just be her and her children, her three daughters. Right, so I just went on to Google because I wanted to double-check this lady's name. 
And I found it, Rina Andalini and her three daughters um, are stuck in Gaza. Now, when I clicked on the link, the ITV news link, to read the story so I could actually give you information that the page was not found, um, I went to click the link and the uh, headline within the Google search, like on the Google page with the results says, British mum fears daughters won't see their Gazan dad again if they cross Rafa border. Then you click it and then it says page not found. Um, and there's nothing else really. There's some videos um, and the videos link to TikToks on ITV News. That's on the ITV News TikTok platform. And I clicked that and it said video not available anymore. So that story's been completely wiped off the internet or an attempt of it. And if I hadn't watched that literally with my mum yesterday, I would probably say I didn't even hear that and I'm going mad. Um, now, I wonder why that story has gone. Um, I literally have no idea. <laughs> That's actually insane, you know. Here's me trying to amplify the voices of um, people and the stories are being deleted off the internet. Well, I'm going to go and critically think about why that's happened. Um, maybe we'll hear more about it on the Midlands News tonight. Question mark. Maybe it was to do with her legal case and them not wanting to or be able to draw attention to it, which I hope it's not because here's me talking about it now. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. But I guess it, it really just does speak to the point of, you know, citing your sources, thinking about whose stories are amplified and whose aren't. Um, and I guess with that story, it was only on ITV Central News, Midlands News, because of the link of the lady to Walsall. Um, if she hadn't been linked to Warsaw, then that story wouldn't have been on that news item uh, and maybe nobody would ever have heard her story. Um, I hope they're safe. I really do hope that Palestine will be free. I do hope that those that are currently being held hostage will be released and that people, leaders, will actually understand that life is, is important and of value and precious and raining bombs down on tiny spaces of land is unacceptable. I hope that justice uh, will be served for those that so desperately need it. I hope aid makes it in to Gaza, aid that is actually usable. And, yeah, it's a really, it's a tough time, I think. Not, obviously for us in the ways it is for actual people that are caught in conflict um all over the world but actually reckoning with the fact that governments are standing by as people are murdered that to me is insane but it's a common kind of point that's been brought up on social media a lot and the fact that a lot of people are saying well now we know how wars happen now we know how all these conflicts of the past that we've looked at as so abhorrent and awful and atrocious, you know, these atrocities have happened because we're kind of witnessing one right now. And as much as we can march and protest and, and shout out on social media and, and have our voice heard in that way, actually, you know, I don't know how much, how much of a, what's the word, how much of a use that is. Is it helping people? Um, yeah, it's very disturbing, yeah, uh, it's very disturbing, um, and 
it feels like I think as individuals, um, it feels like we're powerless. I feel I feel powerless anyway. Um, to speak for myself, and it isn't a situation that there's much you can do about. But I guess we can't really feel that way. Like we don't really have the luxury. Uh, Palestinians don't have the luxury of of us feeling powerless and and wallowing in our um, powerlessness. We've got to move, we've got to do stuff, we've got to protest, we've got to speak out, we've got to try so that peace could potentially be achieved or even a conversation about peace because it seems like people want to just dash bombs and, and, and kill people first and ask questions later and I don't really see how that's ever, ever, ever a solution um, in my mind. But here we are. I am quite hesitant to do an episode on um, Britain's role in this conflict and the actual history of it, Um, partly because I'm unqualified um, as much as I do history. I've actually not looked too much into the history in an, should we say, in an academic context where I've been taught or I've been, um, I've read a lot, I've obviously done enough reading to have my own opinions on things um, and to know what's going on in the world. Um, But I think there might be a space for me to actually just signpost you to places where you can find out about the history as opposed to me telling that story. I think that makes better sense. So I will try and do that over the next um, few days on social media, probably on Instagram more so than Twitter. Um, And maybe in the show notes for this episode um not not for today as this is going out pretty much in the next half an hour but um over the course of the next few days um I think that will be something that I will do instead um if you have any suggestions or any ideas or if you do are interested in that history and and learning about it um do let me know uh, and I can facilitate that learning for sure um, that is all I wanted to talk about today. I've had a lot on my mind, I think. I think we all have. Um, we should have anyway. Um, yeah, I hope you've had a good week. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Goodbye.